Yes. Okay, we're already recording. This is what I listen to when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> Let's go. Okay. Welcome to the Raft Podcast, Let's Fix Things, where Chus and myself, Joe Fletcher, explore the world of connected experiences, spanning from connected services, platforms, and devices over industries such as transportation, smart home, logistics, healthcare, and media. Chus and I started this podcast to explore design and strategy topics in more depth coming from the projects we handle in our design consultancy. Now, on to the show. Chus, good afternoon. Hey, man. What's going on? Second week in a row, we're back. Trying to recover from you counting (laughs) on your right hand. Yeah. I'm left-handed. I don't use my right hand for counting, so it was a little confusing. Um, uh, For those of you who who have absolutely no clue what we're talking about, we do a countdown right before this uh, so we can track any white noise to reduce that. And I tried counting down with my fingers, and I failed um, horribly. I don't even know what what symbols I was holding down with my hands. Um, So today... We are going to talk about the new IKEA smart home lighting products, Trodfree, which I still can't pronounce correctly, despite two years of, of hanging out in Sweden. It means um, without wires, right? Yes, it does. Not, yeah. not technically a, a real word as far as I know, but yes, wire, wire free. In, in Dutch, it is a real word, which is funny. But it's, it's not, not quite the same word, It's right? spelled differently, but it's, it's tr- the same. Trodlos? Trodlos? Trodlos. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so we're going to go over that. And the reason why we're going to talk about that is I've been waiting for this for several years uh, because I worked on the product for two years uh, when I was at Frog Design and then also uh, when I was at Raft, uh, worked on the software side of that. And we're going to cover three specific topics with that, talking about how you sell smart home products through stories and experiences, the difficulty that goes into designing connected products, one of the things that we uh love at Raft, and then finally, shifting design paradigms and why the smart home is still important. Before we get into that, one uh, one piece of news. Chus, what's our news piece for today? Microsoft Fluent Design. I love it. Tell me more. <laughs> well, Microsoft, after Metro, the design language was introduced for Windows Phone and for uh, some of the uh, UIs on Windows Desktop. They hadn't done much since that as far as Android uh, introducing a new design language and Apple, of course, going all flat. So they just, out of the blue on a conference last week, introduced their new visual design language. But it's much more than visual design if you look at it. No, and, and that's one of the reasons I love it is because it's, I've never been a fan of flat design specifically. I, I like material design because it does give a little bit of depth. Yeah. I haven't been a fan of Metro. I'm not particularly a fan of, of Windows 8 or Windows 10. Um, but what, what they've done here is they have added a level of depth. They've added a level of material. But who's, why, oh, why would they add these elements? <laughs> well, Microsoft, of course, um, is doing several things with um, 3D. They have their own HoloLens initiative with uh, the big pilot-like helmet that you put on your head that allows the helmet to show you 3D objects in the 3D space that you're in and allows you to interact with them. Think of playing Minecraft on your desk or having your browser float in front of you. And of course, they're also working with lots of uh, VR headset manufacturers to get those supported in Windows. 
So they will need a, a, an interface language, and not only want to say visual, because they go a little bit further than visual, but they need a, a, a new UI language that works in 3D. So this is why I love it. This is the first time I've seen a major company um, deliver a, a style system that covers software, hardware, and on software, it's not just a, a screen-based, but it all is also about the augmented and the virtual reality aspects of it, which I think is absolutely beautiful. Uh, my, only, my only concern on this is I worked for Microsoft for years. They always do beautiful, beautiful videos and beautiful systems. I mean, the, the, when you look at the Metro system, when that was floating around internally around 2007, that was beautiful. You looked at the Windows Vista system, that was also beautiful. And then when it comes to the execution of these and getting the products out, there's always a little something left to be desired. Uh, and so that's that's where I always get a little bit like, okay, it's it's beautiful in the presentation of the components. Now let's see how it gets applied and out into the real world. So I'm curious, the, the presentation this time leads me to believe that it is not only meant internal for the products that they're going to be building themselves, but it's like a guiding light for the creative and developer community to build apps that work with this new 3D space. Give them a way of making your apps fit into this new eco ecosystem instead of afterwards trying to deduce how things should look to fit into Windows. It's pretty much what Material Design has done for lots of apps. And I, I just have the feeling that these are meant as, as guidelines and give you inspiration on how things should work. I mean, Windows and Microsoft has generally done that for a lot of their guidelines, right? Publish them so other people can have common components that they can use in their application. So it creates a, a common system across the, the UI. Yeah. Um, what I really like about this, and again, I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of flat design. I know the whole thing moving away from skeuomorphism was embrace the digital, right? You're on a screen. This is not physical. Embrace the digital. And all the, you know, where that has led us to now is chat and conversational interfaces that are reminiscent of 30 years ago with DOS. And, and so basically embracing the digital just means command line to me. Again, I think that's why I'm not that big of a fan of flat design. I don't mind skeuomorphism and I love them bringing back in depth. But if you are going to work with flat design, what I do love that they have done here is they leverage flat design on layers and then they allow layers to happen because of augmented and virtual reality. Yeah. And I think that use of flat design is beautiful because if you use skeuomorphism, then you get to these weird things where you have these multiple layers that look like they're physical, but it's just a little weird. They did have a few comps that showed off what looked like a new desktop where it had these flat yeah. elements combined with 3D elements. And it felt to me like some one student project from 1980 where they're like, this is what my desktop will look like, right? It just looked, you know, like a literal desktop. So while it looked beautiful, it didn't feel like it moved the conversation forward. But damn, did it look beautiful. Yeah, I, I think with, with the depth that you're talking about, maybe, maybe not for the panels of UI, but for the rest with these layers, they give you a third dimension literally in building visual hierarchy, right? The first the first dimension is color of your type, so color contrast. The second dimension literally is size of type and, and other elements to show importance. And the third one can now be depth. You have layers that are behind and inside of things with either parallaxing or really depth away from you. And I think it, it can be cool to show hierarchy of elements in UIs. Yeah, I'm, 
I'll be interested to see where this goes. I don't want to dwell on it too much, but I do think that it is worth noting. Microsoft came out with something beautiful. Uh, Google has material design, which has also manifested itself in a hardware point of view. And Apple, while creating beautiful products, has been nascent recently. They've been changing UI, but... Slowly. Yeah, where is it... uh, what's that vision that what's that cohesive vision that's bringing it all together and it feels like they're now the odd man out the one person that stood for design all these years is now getting overtaken a bit yeah so So the last thing i want to say about it is they have like these five principles that really refer back to almost when you're doing 3d rendering on a computer right so you have uh the things that you can change or you can pay attention to when you're building your ui which is light depth motion scale and last but not least material and i think it's kind of funny that google has material design and microsoft is just saying that's just one little part of ours we're much bigger boom yeah <laughs> okay let's uh let's hit up ikea you ready for this one I, I i don't want to go to ikea okay we're gonna see how this ends up because um in short i i, I think i don't think i know that the cool thing about this podcast is there is roughly two, three, two or three, maybe four people outside of Ikea who know this entire story. Yeah. Right. Who About the design of it. Myself, uh, one other nice uh, director who now works at Design It, and a few other people at Frog. I won't mention their names. I don't know if they want to be mentioned, so I'll just leave them out of this. The reason why we wanted to bring this up, now that it has finally come out, I think there is so much to talk about here. And we're going to try to get this into, you know, 20 minutes so we don't go blabbing on too long. Uh, But the three topics to cover, this idea of story, the difficulty of designing these types of products, and paradigm shifts uh, within technology and computing, I think are three massive things. Each one of these could be a podcast on their own. Maybe we'll we'll revisit this. To give a little bit of context, uh, IKEA decided they were going to do this uh, years ago. And I was lucky enough to uh, be part of the pitch team that went up and pitched Ikea. We got to sit in a in like a hardware closet because they're out of meeting rooms. Mm-hmm. And I still have a sticker on the bottom of my computer that says scrap that I asked if I could take because I just loved it. And we presented what we thought would be a very compelling vision for um, lighting, for smart lighting at that point, which is what they were going after. We talked about the technology that was needed. We talked about... Uh, what it could be from a you know retail box kit. And then we also talked about, I think one of the most important moments that that resonated throughout the entire uh, you know two years that I was on it and one of the last years that they kept working on it after I had rolled off uh, and to focus on raft, which was the competition that IKEA was facing, especially IKEA, was not Phillips. It was not Osram, it was not Lightify, or uh, sorry, LifeX, which I think that's what everyone looks at when they think about what is the competitive marketplace for smart lighting. They immediately go to the other smart lighting products in the space. And I, I want to remember that I was the one that brought this up, but I, I honestly can't, uh, I can't say that in good conscience. I don't remember who it was, but their competition for smart lighting, and I believe this with any smart light, is not the other people in the space, but it is the light switch on the wall. Yeah. That's it. And if you cannot make a product that is better, that is easier than a light switch on a wall where I'm laying on my couch and I can reach up and slap the light switch and turn things on or off, you are not going to be successful in this space. And you want to know why things aren't getting an uptake? Because it's still easy for, easier for me to walk into a room 
and hit a light switch. I, I can attest to that because I have Philips Hue bulbs hooked up to Amazon Echo. And the other morning I wanted to switch off my light and I started saying Echo uh, and I just hit the switch on the wall. I was like, I'm not even going to finish this sentence because I'm standing next to the switch. This makes no sense. So, so this is a very important point when anyone is developing connected products that gets lost is they immediately go out and they look at the other connected products within that space as opposed to looking at the analog product. And then you need to look at the analog product because if you, if you think you're developing a connected product, that's already going to cost twice as much as the analog product, right? So you, someone's already spending double that amount. Now, if you've added the fact that there is going to be friction because you have to download an application, you have to register an account for some things, all this stuff, are you really adding that much value? So what are we doing in lighting that adds so much value? And that's that's really where we started out. And that's you know conversation after conversation and prototype after prototype uh, both in software and hardware, just went on for, for months about this, right? What are we really going to do? And what makes it IKEA? Yeah. Because so many products out there, they go after features, right? We have 16 million colors, right? That That's that's what uh, Philips, Philips Hue brings, right? 16, oh yeah, because I'm going to go through 16 million colors, right? Oh yeah, that's a, that's a smart, intelligent decision. IKEA, and this is where IKEA nails some of their stuff. And the, the people who we partnered with at Ikea um, just, I mean, came through in spades in some of the ways that they would present and talk about this and made myself and I think most people on the, on, on the frog team and later on the raft team really think about these things. Uh, because what Ikea does so well is when you walk into their stores, what do they sell you? Light bulbs. No, they don't sell you light bulbs. <laughs> How do you, what does everybody hate but love when they walk around Ikea? besides getting lost, is that they sell it in a room. They show it to you in context. I thought meatballs. No, well, th that's once you get to, the, that's because you're so tired from walking around the store <laughs> that once you get out of the store, you got to get food, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's why they sell the meatballs. That's why the meatballs are at the end, not at the beginning. They make no sense at the beginning. But when you walk into Ikea, you have everything set up so you can see exactly how everything is used. And yeah. this was such a competitive advantage uh, versus, you know, if I look in the U.S., Best Buy. If I look over in Europe, you have Media Markt. And how these companies sell Philips Hue or Osram light bulbs is they put an end cap, right? On on the uh, an end cap, sorry, is those little at the end of aisles there will be a little display, a demo and, unit. Yeah, and it'll say like, you know, look, the light bulb can change colors. That that's like selling a goldfish on a plate. I, I, like, what the hell? Is, that's a horrible metal. I don't even understand. Well, I'm not letting it's, you. It's you're, out of context you're, and it's not worth anything. You're done talking. <laughs> you're, you're, you're no longer allowed to say things. But this is, this is the idea of selling a story. So again, you are competing with your analog products. You are competing with a light switch on the wall and you are selling a story. So you are selling these light bulbs in context. And where Ikea came through in all of their research is they talked about waking up with light. They talked about light reflecting people's activities and behaviors in the room. That when you had a scenario of watching a movie, you wanted to dim the lights. When you were cleaning, you wanted the brightest lights on. When you were reading, you want warmer lights on, right? So when did you want cool lights? When did you want warm lights? And having scenarios in which the behavior that people had reflected different needs of lighting. And this was such a, a breakthrough moment, even though it sounds so basic. Three years ago, four years ago, when this when this was happening, you know, Hue was selling 16 million colors. Osram, I don't even know what they were selling, right? Everyone was selling 
technology and features. Yeah. And here comes this other company saying, no, we're going to sell a story. Yeah. And guess what? They didn't say 16 million colors. Ikea said, we're going to have a limited number of colors. Why don't we have 10 or 20 or 30 colors? Right. So I, I forget what they shipped with in the end. Uh, or no, they haven't shipped with anything yet, actually. It's just been, what am I looking for here? Color temperature. White temperatures. Yeah. Sorry. I, I didn't want to say color temperatures, white temperatures. And, and so within those white temperatures, can you do everything like you can on Philips Hue? Right. Do you get every single temperature? No, you get a few temperatures because you don't need every single temperature, right? You're, you're like, why do you need to fiddle around and try to get the exact right thing that you want? Yeah. Give I, me less choices and it will be an easier UI. But yeah. Even more, if you think about how you're going to use that UI, if you want to be able to have a, a like gradient from warm to cold, how am I going to get the exact same one done? Like so well last night, back the next day when I've been fiddling with the slider. So from a UI point of view, it also makes no sense to give somebody all the options all the time. Yep. And and so again, going back, they once said, we're going to sell a story and we're not going to sell all these temperatures. You know, we don't need, uh, you know, 100 or 200 of them. We need three or we need four. We need five. Yeah. We need something very, very simple that users can just hit on. Because that at the core of IKEA, that Scandinavian design is all about simplicity. And that was such a beautiful moment. So when you tie all these things together of a light switch on the wall, telling stories, simplifying the UI for users to really remove that number of choices. Uh, when the product's been released now, I've been keeping up with the reviews. It's been doing great. Um, I, you know, I think it's an absolutely fabulous product. And I think it's one of the few products that can really make a dent in the smart home space. Mm-hmm. Now, so that's part one of the story because we're trying to get through things uh, somewhat quickly here. Part two, the difficulty. This is so much fun, the difficulty of designing connected products. For people who have never designed connected products at scale, I wanna make this clear, because a lot of people have Kickstarter projects where they make a thousand of something, or they make 10,000 of something. When you are making a product that goes to 10 million or 20 million people across the world, there is a whole new set of, of dynamics that goes into this because designers love to say, oh, but yeah, it'll only affect 1% of people, except 1% of 10 million is 100,000. Like that's a lot of call center calls if you're affecting 1% of people. And this is something that I I think a lot of designers, unless they have worked for really, really big companies can miss, unless they have shipped something that goes to millions of people, they miss this aspect of scale. And this was something that, that became apparent when uh, when we were designing this, you know, Ikea was asking that we, that we needed to have work done several months in advance. I'm not going to say how many. I don't want to give that all away because I don't think that's appropriate. But, you know, obviously you have to have designs done in advance for hardware because it has to be manufactured and it has to be shipped. Right. And so you have to create firmware now. Mm-hmm. And when you're doing a Kickstarter, you know, you may just need a month to do a thousand or 5,000 units. When you're doing 10 million units, you know, you can't really have a month, you need more time. But at the same time, you are developing products with technology in them. And this was one of the, this is one of the most difficult things that I think we've had to face is that you are creating a firmware that goes on these light bulbs, right? So inside the light bulbs is a printed circuit board, is a, you know, is a radio. So everything is, uh, is Zigbee based within the light bulbs themselves. And, you had to have all this technology, this firmware flashed months and months and months in advance of it hitting shelves. Yeah. 
And the amount of work and rigor that goes into that, that, that had to be implemented to handle software and hardware and that combination, I'm not sure there's ever been another product, um, consumer product, like IoT product, that has had that level of complexity at this level of scale globally. That's been that's been shipped. I mean, yes, I, I know there's consumer electronics, uh, you know, there's TVs, these types of things, and then people are going to say, oh, no, I know we're going to get a lot of comments about that. But as far as trying to make connected products that are smart home enabled, that is this IoT space, there's not many other products floating around that have this level of scale. And so this level of difficulty, I think, took a lot of people by surprise on, on, the, uh, on the design team. And I'll throw out a few examples of what made this so difficult. The first example uh, has to do with the firmware I was just talking about. So with a connected product, a lot of times people will release these and they'll update the firmware after they release them, whether that's a light bulb, whether it's a juicer or an oven or a set of speakers. The company that produces it, the team, will say, well, you know what, we'll, we'll get the firmware at the level of quality that we think we need for ship and then we'll release it. But if there's bugs or if there's, you know, situations that we don't want, we'll update the firmware later. The problem that we had here is IKEA offered multiple sets of products and with several sets that they expected to sell quite well. And I can tell you now after looking at sales for the first uh, month, they are selling quite well. These are not connected to the internet. So with most connected IOT products, you bring them home, you get an application on your phone, you get a gateway so that you can connect uh, your products to the web. And from that point, you can use them. And the whole point is that you can use them with your phone. And through that mechanism, through that gateway and connected to the internet, you can then update the firmware on the products. But because IKEA really wanted to do something that was uh, entry level, that didn't need additional technology, that was as simple as screwing in a light bulb and using a remote to turn that light bulb on and off or to dim it or to switch white temperature, you don't have to connect it to the internet. And so because of this, when we were creating the firmware, you can't update it once you've shipped it. Once that went out into stores, there was no way to update that firmware. So we had to make sure months in advance that the firmware was solid, that it was bug free. It couldn't be, we're going to, you know, we're going to update it in post. Like I tell uh, our editor, Lena, uh, <laughs> we can't do that here. We had to make this work and we had to make this work on firmware that was going to be ready months and months before the delivery date. The second example of what appears to be such a simple product, so complex, is uh, the toggle button, the on off switch on the remote. So if you're familiar with the products, uh, again, this is, uh, since I think I only mentioned the name at the beginning, this is IKEA Trodfree, or if you're in America, Tradfree, connected lighting. And it comes with a set of light bulbs and then it has a remote. And the remote has a ring of buttons and then it has one simple toggle for on and off. This is seemingly simple enough. You hit the button, the lights turn on. You hit the button, the lights turn off. The serious complexity comes in when you have external light switches, hard-coded light switches that are built into the wall. Now, picture that you have two light bulbs connected, IKEA light bulbs, light bulb A and light bulb B. I've turned both of them on with the IKEA remote. That means that both of their physical hard switches on the wall have been turned on. Now, light bulb A, I turn off by its hard switch. Light bulb B, I press the remote button thus turning it off. Now both lights are off, 
but light bulb A is off by the hard switch and light bulb B is off by the IKEA remote, which means the hard switch on the wall is still turned on. So now, if I go back to light bulb A and I turn that on on the wall, light bulb A turns on. Light bulb B, of course, is still off. Now, if I take the IKEA remote and I press the singular toggle button, it sends a command to reverse the state of the light bulbs. So the light bulb that is now on will turn off and the light bulb that is off will now turn on. So your lights will be fundamentally out of sync. You can imagine, of course, that when you have three light bulbs or four light bulbs connected, uh, the amount of chaos that this can cause that some of your light bulbs get out of sync. And if you want to go back on the remote and add two buttons for an on and an off, this requires uh, a lot of updates. This requires additional intelligence to be put into the remote. This requires additional manufacturing. Uh, this requires movement of the intelligence, right? Is the intelligence in the light bulb or is the intelligence in the remote? In this case, the intelligence was in the light bulb. So we have to change around the coding. So something just as simple as a toggle switch and on off no longer is that simple. It, it becomes this, this quagmire of complex interactions uh, that we sat down and we would sketch out on paper. You know, we have three light bulbs, what happens? We have four light bulbs, what happens? And not only going through the if the remote had a toggle switch or an on and off, but looking at where the intelligence lives. Does it live in the remote? Does it live in the light bulb? And then what happens when you introduce the gateway, which is a whole nother set of problems. So the, the firmware and uh, this simple toggle button are two of the situations out of, you know, 20 or 25 really, really just hard, wicked problems uh, that had no right answer. There was no appropriate way of, of solving these. And so it's all about risk mitigation and figuring out what's the right strategy. So that, that's what made this such a difficult problem. So the last thing to mention with this is not specifically, uh, well, partially IKEA, partially smart home in general. What I want to mention with all of this is we talked about uh, sell, how do you sell products, right? This idea of story. And so many people don't nail this. They still sell on features. They don't sell on story. The gnarly problems that go into this. And finally is this idea of technology shifts. And this is where I think we want to end on and, and leave listeners uh, with something to ponder. Is that with every new shift in technology or shifts in location and technology, a new company emerges uh, to take over that market. And so the example here, the, the way this, this is built is uh, in the 70s and 80s, uh, 80s, you had IBM doing mainframes and servers. Then along came uh, Compaq, and that didn't work out too well, but eventually Microsoft is what owned the personal computer, the PC, right? So you had that shift when IBM was like, this is what computers are, and then Microsoft came along with a different vision. When you had mobile, uh, Microsoft, of course, went into mobile, but fell on its face because it was so focused. It was, it was so visionary on the desktop and that going into mobile, they applied the same things that worked going into the PC revolution and that did not work on mobile. It was a fundamentally different technology and UI paradigm. And so here comes Apple and Google and they came up on mobile. So now the reason why I think the smart home is so important is because the home to me is one of the next shifts. The home is the place where you don't necessarily have your phone on you all the time, where you're not always in front of a computer, but there is 
and there can be a need for technology. If you look at what is happening, and this was a common theme with IKEA, uh, that more people are migrating into cities worldwide. That means the space with that people are living in is getting smaller and smaller, and that space needs to do more things. Yep. And this and this enables technology to do more things within a space, but also technology to be active within a space that normally doesn't have technology, right? A technology, your PC travels with you, your phone travels with you, your home has generally been technology free with the, I mean, yes, uh, appliances, oven, microwave, TV, but connected technology um, that really does something for you like Amazon products, like Google Home. To me, the home is one of the next fundamental shifts. Who is going to capture the home? And right now, Amazon to me seems like such a big one, and then also one of the other shifts that's coming up is who's going to capture uh, automobiles because I don't think it's going to be any of the car makers that exist right now, right? So is that going to be Tesla or is that going to be somebody totally new? Uh, but you have all these shifts. You have companies that rise up to take these spots. And to me, Amazon is, is greatly positioned. So when I think of the smart home, what makes it so important is it is an entirely new space of economic and business value. When I think of smart products, and I think of the people to combine them, here you have Amazon with great voice services, with the ability to order things, with the ability to make the home uh, technological from a, a sort of a supply and demand point of view. And on the other side, you have a quite large global company of Ikea who is entering in the smart home space, who is all about making the most of spaces. And they did their kitchen concept demo. Mm -hmm. Where is Amazon Echo really powerful? in the kitchen. It seems like there's a lot of natural synergies here yep. that, that I absolutely love. So that's I think that's the thing that I would want to li leave with uh, listeners is that if you think about the home as one of the next big technology areas to capitalize on, who's, uh, who's going to do it? I've been talking forever. Chus, last words. No, I'm good. I, uh, I was listening too intently and I have nothing more to say. Well, sorry for everybody out there who hates my voice. <laughs> so Chus, good talking and... Uh, yeah, we'll catch up more next week. Thanks, man. Later. Bye. Bye.